Welcome to Mind Tricks Radio, where we'll explore contemporary topics in psychology through interviewing creative and innovative thinkers in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan. Thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Dr. Tyler Ralston, a clinical psychologist in Honolulu, Hawaii. Dr. Ralston has been on the show twice already. He was my guinea pig for my very first episode, episode number one, about overcoming traumatic guilt. He then returned for episode 14 and spoke with me about red flags and abusive relationships. Both have been very popular episodes and I highly recommend taking a listen to them. Today's episode is a little bit unusual. I'm speaking with Dr. Ralston about a very strange event that occurred in Honolulu on August 20th, 1994. For those of you who are around in Hawaii in 1994, you undoubtedly will remember something about this. And if you didn't live here or you weren't born yet, you're definitely going to want to listen in and hear about what happened. But basically, during a performance by Circus International, an African bush elephant named Tyke mauled her trainer and then charged out of the event at the Neil Blaisdell Center and rampaged through the streets of Kaka'ako Business District until she was finally brought down by police gunfire over 30 minutes later. She was shot at least 86 times. Present on the scene who witnessed the spectacle was none other than Dr. Ralston, who at the time was a much younger version of himself. This was a pivotal event for Dr. Ralston and prompted him to think more intently about trauma. It also prompted him to take action and address animal cruelty and public policy. He's been interviewed in the media and for a documentary about Tyke. Tyler, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to see you again, and I'm really excited to speak with you today about this very strange episode. You know, I came to Hawaii in 1992. And I know you've lived here your entire life. You were born here and raised here. And there's been a lot of strange things that's happened here in Hawaii over the years. One of them was this very odd event of the 2018 false missile alert. Uh, I actually spoke with documentary filmmakers Robin Keiko Feldman about that. That was episode 19. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. You, were, you were around mm-hmm. for that? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so that was mm-hmm. that was a strange episode in the history of Hawaii, but this Tyke the Elephant episode mm-hmm. is arguably even stranger. And so I'm really looking forward to speaking with you about what happened, uh, the implications around trauma, mm-hmm. and just sort of talking about what that was like for you on a personal and a professional level. So you up for the challenge? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready, yeah. Sounds good. And mm-hmm. by the way, um, we went through more of your bio in some of the previous episodes, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. I encourage listeners to go back to some of those earlier episodes if they're interested sure. in learning more about you and your practice and everything. So I summarized very briefly what happened, but why don't you describe in your own words, kind of resummarize what I said and add what you need to, what happened on that day in 1994 with uh, Tyke the Elephant. Can you give a little bit more background and some history of the events that took place? Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, I I think it was the last show of the circus that was in town. And um, Tyke the Elephant was kind of behind the curtain, not out in the center ring yet of the circus. Um, You know, there's families and kids and parents uh, gathered around in the arena. I wasn't in the arena. I was out on the street. And... Something happened with Tyke 
behind she got agitated and she's you know a, a large i think about eight thousand pound yeah african elephant and um she got uh, agitated and started pushing the groom's person through the curtain and out onto the floor in front of everybody and a lot of people um i had later learned thought it was sort of maybe part of the show or whatever so people that were sitting right, right. there there's no barrier or anything kids and families sitting right there kind of a lot of people just kind of stayed still and kind of watched this for a bit and then as the groom's person was getting pretty beaten up and ultimately knocked unconscious and I think crushed pelvis and broken ribs and a lot of broken bones and stuff uh, and almost killed um, but not um, at, then people started to realize hey this is not how the show goes and I think they uh, at that point, started to kind of run up the bleachers, and people were scrambling out and stuff. And and then also the trainer, uh, Alan Campbell was his name. He came out with his sequined outfit, you know, trying to yell at Tyke, stop, 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 and you know, Tyke giving commands or whatever they do. And 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 Tyke just immediately knocked him down and put her forehead on him and just crushed him, basically, mm, yeah. tragically. Um, and so then there was two two of them lying unconscious on the arena floor tight kicking them around people running and then so tyke then ran out the auditorium and um out across kapilani boulevard and then down into kakako and i i was driving uh to a used motorcycle parts shop down there um at the time that was down there because i used to ride a lot of motorcycle street bikes and stuff and uh turned the corner onto the street there and um Forget the street name. I think it's the Waimanu. Turned the corner, and Tyke was coming out my car with the headdress, and you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was wild. I was like, wait, what's happening? And I could kind of see police going behind. So yeah, I I turned onto Cummins Street, and there was actually a big kind of semi truck. Which to this day, I'm kind of like, how did a semi truck fit on there? Because it's a big, uh, big truck, small street. And I kind of immediately kind of stopped the guy and I said, hey, I think there's an elephant that might have escaped from the circus or something. Pull your truck across the street. And it was all real quick, you know, and I don't know if he didn't hear me or what, but I, I then kind of went past him and turned and, and parked and I thought, okay, they're going to get it handled or whatever. And I, I saw he kind of pulled the truck up and I don't know if the police waved him off or what, but there was already starting to be a lot of yelling. And, um, so he, the truck left and I thought, okay, you know, whatever's happening, let me just kind of give him space to manage it. But th- things started to get more escalated. I was going into the shop. And then we kind of came out and Tyke was actually running kind of up and down the different streets. And, mm. and then at one point we were on the street there and a little ways down was a vacant lot that, um, that Tyke was in with a little minivan of some sort. And there was, uh, I, th- I think it was one of the circus clowns, but not in the clown outfit, like running around the minivan and Tyke was trying to get the clown. Wow. And I remember seeing that and just going, oh, okay, this is, this is pretty serious here. Uh, and we were kind of peeking around the corner because people were kind of hiding and stuff at that point. Yeah. And then Tyke was would reach over this van and just shake it, the whole van. I mean, it, it looked like it looked like Tyke was just going to lift the van up. I mean, it was. I didn't realize they're so powerful. Yeah. And then and then I thought, okay, this is getting serious. So I kind of went back around the corner, and was in the motorcycle shop. And 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 then we kind of almost ended up like hiding in the shop because she would kind of. No, actually, no, she was still in the lot at that point. Yeah, she was still in a lot at that point. And and then the promoter, Steve Hirano, was holding this chain link fence shut. Bravely, I'm not sure what he was thinking because it's an African elephant, but he was holding yeah. the chain link fence shut. 
And that's when Tyke saw him and just turned and charged that and immediately, of course, flung him and knocked him, broke his leg really bad in the street. And then that's when the first shots were like, pop, 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 firing. And then that's when I thought, okay, this is getting really bad. And so, so we scrambled back into the motorcycle shop. So, so the first shot, these are shots that the police are firing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the police fired the first shots there. And they were little pistols. You know, they don't do anything to right. an African elephant. And, and lots and lots of, lots of yelling and lots of people starting to really get serious about hiding and stuff. And, uh, and you can feel the adrenaline and the fear starting to ramp up because up to that point, it was sort of like, oh, they got it managed. Maybe it's okay for me to be here and kind of peek at what's going on, but, you know, do my business in the store. But once that kind of happened, it's like, okay, this is serious. And then Tyke was on the street, just, just down a little ways. So that's when we were like, okay, we got to hide. And we ran into the, um, into the motorcycle shop which was a, basically a junkyard motorcycle shop. So it was mm-hmm. just piled high with parts. It was a steel-framed warehouse, about three, two or three stories high, piled high with parts and a little kind of path going between them. And I remember running into the shop and looking up at the, the I-beams in the ceiling, thinking, how can I get, I got, like, wow. I wasn't thinking clearly at that point. Right. Because you're, it was so amped up. You're imagining Tyke rushing yeah. in and just yeah. needing to get out of its way. Yeah. And yeah. and there's but realistically, now that I look back on it, there's no way that Tyke could even get in that shop because it was so piled high with all these little parts that were just like steel. Yeah. And Tyke wouldn't be able to reach the rafters up there. But you know, when you're when you're getting ramped up like that, you don't think clearly, as we say, as you know, it's uh the performance goes down. Yeah. So we were kind of hiding in there, and then of course Tyke ran by, and then I think he ran back again. And the police are yelling, everybody's high, you know. And I, and I distinctly remember at one point, one of the things that stands out to me is we were hiding in there, and there was two people walking up Cummins Street. I think sort of like they came from the beach or something. I don't know, but they were walking with beach chairs, if I recall, a guy and a gal, and sort of towels over their shoulders, and you know, and we were like yelling, "Hey, hey, get in here, get in here!" Like. And they, and they, because Tyke had sort of gone by, but maybe was going to turn and come back. Yeah. And they were sort of confused, like, what are you yelling at us from this junkyard to come hide in there with you, you know? And they kind of looked, and then I remember another person and I kind of went part way out and I told them, hey, like, come, come in, come in real quick. There's an elephant, you know, that's being shot. And they're like, what? Like, this doesn't make sense. It's right. confusing. Totally confusing. Yeah. And they ended up coming in and hiding with us. And Tyke went by again. And then I... I think Tyke kind of went, went on her way at that point and police chasing. And I thought, okay, I got to just get out of here. I'll, I'll, I got to get out of the neighborhood and let them do their thing. It was really disturbing at that point already. And it's hard to imagine. Even looking back on it, it's hard to imagine. But so I got in the car and as I was driving away, um, it, it was, it was, it kind of was, you know, it wasn't just right away like that. It was sort of a little while of all this happening actually. But, um, but as I was driving away, I guess Tyke was already on another street and I could hear much larger guns going off like, boom, boom, like that. And, you know, with the buildings in Kakako, just all this sort of echoing. Right. Yeah. And that's when I was like, it really kind of hit me like, okay, this is just really and a lot of emotion came up at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that is unbelievable, Tyler. Um, talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? right I mean, like, right. you know, just... Or ultimately the right place at the right time in the long run. But at, the, but at that time, it was the wrong place at the yeah. long run, for sure. For well, sure. I, well yeah. I mean, I, it's just yeah. it's just one of those things, though, like when we yeah. talk about traumas, right? You make a yeah. left turn and nothing happens to you. Right. You make a right turn and you're in the middle of, right. of a traumatic stuff. And, you know, most most of Hawaii didn't know anything about this That's right. until the next day or until That's it was right. on the news. But you were right there. So... Tyler, one of the things I want to talk about is what kind of effect 
yeah. this had on you and possibly other people who are either directly or indirectly involved. And yeah. I know usually, you know, you come on as an expert, but today you're actually the client in a way. <laughs> I, I'm just curious, like right. you were there, you witnessed, right. like what was that like for you afterwards right. to kind of process and deal with this? Uh, deeply disturbing. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when, when I, you know, I mentioned that when I was hiding, I didn't realize it really at the time until later that it was super highly ramped up. I mean, like adrenaline was through the roof Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're not sure if, you know, you run, you know, they run fast, actually, they can move and they're more agile than they look. Mm -hmm. So, so the adrenaline is through the roof. And then as, as I was driving away and I heard those big guns, that's when it was just like Niagara Falls. I mean, I just started basically bawling, Mm. super disturbing and, uh, and, and a lot of confusion about like, did, did this just really happen? Yeah. You know, like, how do I make sense of this when I just came from like this environmental workshop at the University of Hawaii that I was there as a business person, you know, hundreds of people, you know, doing all this helping good kind of work and everything was great. We're going to make the environment better with our business practices and all this. And then now this happens. It was, just, it was really confusing. There was also a sense of helplessness. Yeah. Um, that happened. So, so I, I drove, I think to my mom's house cause she lived nearby and I went there and kind of told her what happened. I think she was kind of like, Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, you know, we didn't have really like the internet and stuff back then. So things didn't spread as fast, but right. I, I, I hung out with my mom for a bit and chatted with her kind of process that is pretty upset still. And then I think I had plans already to go surfing with some friends that evening. And I remember I was still pretty shaken up and I remember sitting on this wall down by the ocean waiting for them and they showed up and they could see I was still kind of like teary and uh and they're like well are you okay like what's going on I said you guys you guys I'm not gonna believe this I experienced I was driving on the street today and this circus elephant was running at me with a headdress on and then police were chasing it and ended kind of we had to run from it and hide and it ended up getting shot and and they were like, what? Like, what? They thought, I think they probably thought I was on drugs or something, you know? Well, it was so, just so odd. I mean, so it's, odd. I mean, that's another interesting thing. And I think when it comes to talking about trauma in general, we'll get more to this. But yeah. what was most people's reaction to you? Like, this was obviously yeah. a deeply traumatic thing that yeah. happened to you. Yeah. But it sounds like other people just were scratching their heads, kind of like yeah. thinking this is just sort of a bizarre and ridiculous incident. Yeah. Usually, usually my experience has been that when people first hear it, they kind of almost like laugh, like what, like what? And then once they either hear more about it or see video of it, or particularly if they were there, it's like, oh, okay, this was like super serious, super dangerous, Mm -hmm. many bullets fired on public streets, large police presence, which was police officers drawn away from everything else that they do for us. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't able to stop bank robbers and, uh, or, or at least there was a lot that were pulled away from domestic violence cases and bank robbers and all the other stuff that they're usually, you know, helping us out with. Do you know how many police showed up for that? I forget the number, but it was a lot. It was, was a it? lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and bullets wise, I think it was about 86 or 87 bullets fired on public streets. And I've tried to kind of research that before. And I, I haven't been able to find any Hawaii police response that involved more bullets. I think it might be or is likely the record for most bullets fired on public streets. It's a lot. And, you know, I did a little bit of searching prior to talking with you today, and there's a lot of stuff that came out, uh, bands that named songs 86 Bullets. There was apparently like a worldwide response to this, which is incredible, like you said, and pre-internet 
yeah. and social media times, like a yeah. lot of people found out about what happened. The news was able to get there quickly, and there was also helicopters, so there's helicopter footage, which there's an interesting aspect to that too with another psychologist who was treating a Vietnam veteran, and, and that psychologist testified publicly and shared this story publicly that a Vietnam veteran whose role in Vietnam was something like shooting the enemies mm -hmm. that were transporting munitions on elephants through the jungle, oh. shooting, shooting elephants. So when the footage came out on the local news that was helicopter angle looking down like this veteran had experienced riding in a helicopter in Vietnam shooting elephants below, hmm. the veteran greatly um, came undone. Wow. Triggered up big time. Yeah, major re-triggering, huh? I major. mean, if all the components that could possibly be there for somebody looking down, gunshots being fired, helicopters, that must At have been an just elephant. Yeah. a horrible, horrible yeah. you know, situation for him. Tons and tons and tons of traumas all over the news. You, I don't know if you remember, it was in the, in the newspapers from like months. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit more about the aftermath now. Thank you mm. for mm. kind of giving a very sure. good synopsis of your personal experience with that. So uh, the Vietnam veteran example is one. So yeah. w w what did you have a sense of what other people's response was to this yeah uh, yeah yeah there there was a there was a range of responses you know my, my personal response was i i remember driving away that day even thinking even before i got to my mom's house i remember thinking i'm gonna do whatever it takes for the rest of my life to make sure that this never happens again yeah. in our streets that nobody that i know or even that i don't know has to experience what i just experienced and that no animal has to pay a price no innocent animal has to pay a price like that mm -hmm. um and so so one response my response was very much like i was deeply bothered a lot of it turned to sort of almost an anger afterwards a helplessness and then an anger for quite a long time that really drove my work to make sure this doesn't happen again. I, I was deeply involved in all of this, and a lot of the police went to, a lot of the police went to, um, a lot of therapy. I, I big bet. time. I mean, I'm sure it was never yeah. said in their job description. You're going to show up at yeah. work and have to, yeah, gun down an elephant, yeah. in Kakaako. They were totally ill prepared because you don't get training in it. Their it weapons writes. weren't strong enough. The innocence of the elephant and doing this was deeply disturbing to them. There's videos of the police officers at the event crying mm. on each other's shoulders. It was so disturbing. Yeah. And then on top of that, they're doing this, and the crowd was absolutely hysterical. The crowd was, you know, understandably, but they were, like, swearing at the top of their lungs. You, you know, blah, 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 the police stop. Eh? Swearing at them, yelling from buildings all around because where Tyke finally oh. went down was leaning up against a blue Camaro, kind of half down and still half up on uh -huh. the front legs waving her trunk and the police were just so these poor police were trying to control an yeah. incredible situation yeah. and getting yeah that almost yeah. reminds me of like the vietnam vets yeah. who came back yeah. and were spat on very it's sort much. of like yeah oh wow very much so yeah. and, and and then ultimately you know and they were lo lots of bullets um and lots of screaming and doing this and then ultimately what happened with that is the one the police they had like i, I they had like a um I don't know if he's an undercover guy or what it was, but he was sort of like a plainclothes guy that showed up. And they had some bigger guns, but they ultimately had to borrow a big gun from an auto body shop and use that. And, they're, and by then, Tyke's not running anymore, but still up on her front legs and standing, you know, not far 
just shooting right into her forehead and face mm. and everything. And mm. the crowd is right there on the building. And the police are keeping people on the street back. Yeah. And blood's flying everywhere with each shot. And, you know, and, uh, and then... Um, and then Ben Okimoto, the zoo veterinarian, was called in. He was the lead veterinarian at the time. And he was called in and kind of almost going right up to type, pointing like, okay, you got to shoot here. And then they would bow into her heart. Oh, and gosh. then he'd point forward, okay, bow right here. And and it was just, it was really a bad scene. Yeah, so, gosh. But so, so to answer your question, the police were very traumatized. I don't know if there was guilt or what the symptoms were. I think there was anger is what I'd heard because they were put in a situation where they had to do something where they weren't prepared for, backed up for, and the crowd was... Certain people decided to really say, I'm going to turn this into... I'm going to do something about this. A lot of people that were sort of aware of it, maybe on the outskirts, more just through the news and the community, a, bit, a big response was, yeah, that was really bad. We don't want that to happen again. And But um, they need to just kind of have you know tranquilizers handy at the, you know, they basically people would say they need to check backgrounds better of these elephants and also have tranquilizers handy. And the, the, the whole thing is that those don't work for specific reasons, which mm. I could talk about later if we want to, but... Um, well, interesting, like yeah. I, uh, again, in my research, I yeah. had seen that tyke, this isn't the first incident for tyke. There's been other incidents in other places where tyke sort of, uh, for lack of better, yeah. I think was lost control in yeah. a situation, right. which, Right. Of course, you don't want to blame the elephant, right? I, oh, right, right. Well, it's, it's actually, that's one of the things that came out of this is much more awareness that this wasn't just, you know, Tyke, uh, the documentary even, you know, Tyke Elephant Outlaw, but there's, this happens all the time with many elephants and mm -hmm. it happens with bears, it happens with big tiger, you know, big cats, tigers, lions. Uh, it's happened with alligators. It's happened with a lot of these. And as a matter of fact, most people don't know, it's actually not the first time it's happened in Hawaii. In the 30s, or I think it was the 20s, the zoo had an elephant named Daisy that the trainer was taking for a walk in Kapilani Park. It wasn't an African elephant, it was an Asian elephant, taking for a walk in Kapilani Park and kind of showing some kids, some school kids, what, you know, Daisy the elephant. And Daisy got mad and killed her trainer in Kapilani Park. Mm. And the police were called in and they shot Daisy in front of the kids and in front of everybody. And then they dragged Daisy out to sea and let and fed her the sharks. Right. It was in the 30s. So second time, actually, in Hawaii. Oh, I, I had no idea about that. that yeah. 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 And it happens all the time. It happens all the time, all around. It's, in other words, don't, don't go to a circus or an entertainment show that's got animals in it, you know, that right. are wild animals, you know, particularly like... Yeah, I know. But, yeah, even yeah. if you're not afraid of the yeah. animal doing anything to yeah. you, it's it's animal cruelty. We'll, we'll get Zieg, we'll, Siegfried and Roy. Remember? Yeah, of course I do. It's, it's an example. Well, first of all, yeah. it sounds like one way that you channeled the trauma that you experienced from this is to get involved with public policy. Yeah. And and I, when I heard that you were doing this, I was like really amazed and had mm. a ton of respect for you mm. for taking some action. So I'm just curious. First of all, just as a technique for dealing with trauma is is taking action like that a valuable therapeutic tool well it can be yeah it's one way that the energy of it all of the trauma can be channeled into overcoming at least a sense of helplessness mm -hmm. and it's like how you developing a mindset of yeah I, I can do you know what can i do about this right yeah and, and can i do something about it let me at least try so that can help some people with some kinds of traumas other other things not, uh, you know, other situations not, but a lot of times that can be, because helplessness is such a big part of trauma yeah. often 
that doing something to regain a sense of control, even if it's just in one's mind. Well, you hear that. Yeah, I mean, you hear that a lot with parents who lose a child or something traumatic happens that they yeah. they start some kind of a foundation or a nonprofit yeah. or they go on some speaking tour. Yeah. You know, so I that's probably like another example of people who sometimes take some action about yeah. a traumatic event that they felt helpless in. Real briefly, what was the outcome of the policy work that you were involved with? Uh, like m- Many, many years. I think it was probably 18 years of work. We, we worked intensely for about four years with the city council first, and then we worked a lot with the legislature along the way. And, you know, people operate on emotions a lot of time, and that'll override logic. Yeah. And there was there was some opposition pretty strongly from the local circus uh, group here. And this is opposition. You are trying to get them to make a law that they couldn't bring these animals yeah. to Hawaii, yeah. right? Yeah. Myself and um, a woman named Kathy Gogol, who is head of Animal Rights Hawaii, we were really early on doing a, a lot of this. And then over time... Uh, Inga Gibson from the Humane Society of the United States, and and then later on also the the Hawaiian Humane Society got really involved, and and later at the end there was about four of us that were kind of largely leading it, uh, with Stephanie Kendrick from the Hawaiian Humane Society. So the four of us, and then many 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 people writing in, and many people wanted to change, you know. So what happened with every city council and legislative meeting was the opposition who was fighting it because it was their business and how they make money. And they'd have lobbyists come in from Ringling Brothers and all right. this kind of stuff. And and what they would do is they would paint a very emotional story about being a child and enjoying the fun of going to a circus and stuff. And you could see the legislator and city council members' eyes kind of get real nostalgic. Yeah. And then, of course, they would vote. And, and we'd have all the evidence on our side about how this goes and it's going to happen again. It's a huge lawsuits for the city and Blaisdell and everything and all this public safety issue all this stuff and yet they would shoot it down every time uh until finally at the very end to be to wrap up you know this this your answer your question is um somebody i think it was the humane society of the united states some of their lawyers or something came up with this ingenious idea that hawaii's already got animals that are banned here that you can't bring in like a cobra and things like that and then they have animals that are on sort of a you can bring them in but you need permission list like tigers, bears, et cetera, for right. circuses and stuff. And then there's, of course, animals that you can just bring in with, you know, just like dogs and cats and horses and whatever. And they said, well, why don't we just take, why don't we target putting all these circus animals, on, you know, just move them from the permission list to the prohibited list via a, a new rule at the Board of Agriculture uh, and just bypass the legislature and the city council. Uh, and it was still a ton of work and some very heated testimony over a bunch of years but ultimately, uh, they got it, and we won. And so and circuses can't bring animals here now? Well, they can bring some animals, but they uh. can't bring the big, large, dangerous yeah. lion, you know, the, all the large cats, bears, elephants, I think alligators. And I think th- that's great. I, if I understand correctly, it's, well, you can have your moral opinion about circuses in general. Sure. But that aside... It's very stressful for a large animal to be transported across oh. the Pacific Ocean, right? I mean, you, Big time. you don't want Big these time. large animals that shouldn't be in captivity in the yeah. first place, sure. but then they're exhausted and they're sure. stressed out yeah. here. They, right? they, often, they often come from uh, non-regulated roadside breeders and zoos. They're horribly treated. Yeah. It's just really bad. It, you know, it, it's just really, um, they die on the way here. They die, every, you know, other places. They're... They're whipped into submission. It's basically modern-day slavery of sentient no. beings. It's just really, really horrible. And then, and then, of course, it's all in the name of, quote, entertainment, 
which teaches kids from a very young age that it's okay to treat other sentient beings this way. And then we wonder how come kids get more of the idea that, yeah, it's okay to mistreat humans well, and others, you know? Tyler, you remember the Albert Bandura Bobo doll right, uh, right. experiments exactly back right. in the 70s, whenever it was. It, That's which, right. By the way, I participated in as a child. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But um, these were over at Stanford, and the idea that kids who witness a Bobo doll being yeah. beaten up by yeah. another kid is more likely to yeah. beat up the kids. So you're right. Yeah. I mean, these are the messages that we're teaching our kids. Yeah. That's right. So, okay. Well, you know, look, Tyler, first off, mm. congratulations oh, and thanks. good job. I mean, that thanks. was a lot of time over many years that you and other people put into this community effort is what it was just a lot of people spoke up about this and you know and 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 it was it was it's it's this it's the marine parks as well you know the orcas the dolphins it's still yeah. a long way to go but it's heading in the right direction yeah Thank for you. sure yeah. yeah well i want to talk a little bit more let's switch more into a little bit of a clinical um discussion about this and let's talk about the tyke episode as a traumatic event which sure. it was and I'm interested in discussing what actually makes an event traumatic. Sure. Like, how do we know what is traumatic to a person and, and, and why? Do you have some guidelines to kind of talk about yeah. that? Yeah. Um, one, one, there's, there's a variety of things. One of the main kind of things to look at is how much distress uh, an event uh, causes. Yeah, generally speaking, events that are more distressful or high, you know, basically high distress High distressing events are more likely to lead to longer-term trauma symptoms like post-traumatic stress disorder and other mm -hmm. trauma-related presentations. So as a psychologist, when I'm doing trauma work, I often am listening for that. And then I'm in particular um, listening for how much... Uh, because we get asked the question like, well, what kinds of things increase distress? Yeah. And there's several things that are kind of key factors, and one of them is the amount of damage that's done. And the damage can be physical, tangible damage, like loss of life, loss of limb, you know, property, broken bones, et cetera. But it can also be sort of more like symbolic damage, you know, loss of trust in human beings and others. It could be loss of hope. It could be loss of how one thought, you know, innocence, how one thought the world was, you know. Um, I thought that, uh, you know circus elephants and everything were about joy and mm -hmm. et cetera is what a lot of people would say, you know? Mm -hmm. So secondly, there's, we also look at proximity because generally the closer one is in proximity in a couple different ways to an event, the more likely that distress will be uh, high. So that's an example like you were there on the street, you were running into this warehouse, right. you were witnessing it right. compared to maybe somebody else who saw it on the news. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah. So general, generally speaking, the closer one is, the more the more distress there's going to be. Mm -hmm. um, that would be geographical proximity. There's also emotional proximity. So, you know, if you hear about something happening to a friend of a friend of a friend, you're not necessarily, or one may not be necessarily so emotionally close to that person because they've only met him once at a party years ago or something. But if something happens to a, a very close loved one that you have a strong emotional connection with, or if something happens to yourself... You know, you kind of can't get emotionally closer than that. So when we look at that kind of emotional proximity, that can increase distress also. Mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then kind of a third big area that we look at is it, it basically events that occur without warning and don't fit our worldview hmm. tend to cause more distress. 
you know, things that fit our worldview can cause a lot of distress, but you know, you're doing something that you know going in, there's a high potential for danger, that kind of thing. It's sort of like, okay, you can still get traumatized when things go bad, but it's sort of like, you, you know, there's a bit of a risk and stuff and, you know, versus, you know, you're just doing, you know, your banking one day and some robbers come in and hold it up and somebody gets shot and whatever. It's like, okay. Or like in the Tyke incident, you know, I was just doing errands on a sunny Hawaii after uh, Hawaii day when, uh, you know, the circus elephant with a headdress and like, what is this? And, you know, kind of a thing. What's going on? You don't expect a circus elephant. Yeah. I mean, if you're in the circus, you're not expecting a circus right. elephant to sort of lose it and right. gore um, her trainer. Right. So, you know, this kind of reminds me a little bit of, I, I thought I remember reading somewhere some research that was done. You'd probably know this better than me, Tyler, about trauma and PTSD and Vietnam veterans. Yeah. And that the likelihood or the degree or severity of the of the PTSD was worsened if the worldview of the soldier came from like, you know, this apple pie background. I, I want to go serve my country. I want to yeah. do something good. Yeah. Versus somebody who was like, you know, grew up in poverty with a lot of violence. Like this is a great way for me to get out mm. of this. Mm. And mm. not to say that either... Mm couldn't be traumatized, but yeah. the PTSD was worsened for those who just didn't mm. have any idea what war mm. actually would look like. Yeah, yeah. Did, have you heard, heard that? I haven't heard of that research, yeah. actually, but, I'm, but, I, but, the, but the concept, uh, certainly, I've worked with many, many, many Vietnam veterans, and the PTSD was particularly high in those who were doing things that didn't fit the worldview of what going to war is about, sure. like shooting kids right. or shooting women, yeah. you know, who were sometimes in Vietnam loaded with explosives and asked to walk up to or you know whatever to u.s soldiers and so they were instruct u.s soldiers were instructed to shoot they were put in impossible situations like they didn't know if a child or a woman was approaching them if they were going to be friendly or hostile that's right and who wants to be in that position of having to try to make that decision in the heat of the moment that's right that's right right so there's there's a couple of sort of also just generally speaking like you just alluded to with what what you had said that one's background experiences in life can also affect how much trauma mm-hmm. and so you, that's what you were talking about you know if somebody somebody on the one hand people who've experienced traumas can have more trauma also uh somebody who has experienced no traumas might be more resilient in certain ways and if they have a lot of good social support and things like that they may be less likely to develop traumatic symptoms but then again it might be more like an apple pie you know all american whatever you want to call it right uh you know non-traumatic upbringing and so something like this can be more shocking. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, yeah. I, what you said makes a lot of sense about people who have experienced prior traumas. You gave the example earlier on of the Vietnam vet who'd actually shot elephants from a helicopter yeah. and heard the helicopters. And so this mm-hmm. is true in a lot of things. If a person has experience of childhood abuse or neglect or something like that, mm-hmm. and then they experience physical abuse later on, like all of those flood of mm-hmm. traumas that were either buried or not dealt with or whatnot can can be re-triggered into yeah. a, a larger response, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you're an expert on guilt. Mm-hmm. So can we talk a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, mm-hmm. how is guilt impacted and related to a traumatic event. You can even tie it back to Tyke if you want. Yeah, well, uh, guilt's really, really common in trauma, right? And um, without going into too much detail, just the general idea that people after traumas will often 
think that they knew something that they uh, didn't really actually know. And we'll hear it in language, right? As therapists, we'll hear it a lot of time with should-haves and could-haves kind of language, like I shouldn't have driven down that street that day, or I yeah. should have really, I should have told that truck driver, pull, you know, been more firm about pull your truck up across the street to block the elephant in or things like this. And so it ends up being a big part of trauma experiences for a lot of people. And yet the guilt is almost always unwarranted yeah, uh, because there's thinking errors that happen that lead to it. You know, there's been lots of studies on that. Well, also, you don't really know the outcome of something until after That's the right. fact, right? That's exactly right. Like, remember, you were talking about that couple that was walking with their beach yeah. chairs and you had pulled them in. Well, what yeah. if they had just said, oh, forget it. You guys are crazy. Or, right. We're not getting in that warehouse. Right. And they kept going. And what if Tyke had then gone and gored yeah. them? Yeah. I imagine you and everybody else in the warehouse would have said, we should have tried harder to go and yeah. grab them and pull them into the warehouse. Yeah, right, right. But of course, in the heat of the moment, you're like, you know, right. is that our responsibility to go... Yeah. Grab them and force yeah. them to a place they don't want to go. That's right. That's right. And and part of part of guilt, uh, there's many thinking errors that feed guilt. But one of them uh, is that in heightened states of arousal, thinking clarity is not good. Yeah. And failing to realize that, uh, you know, later on, failing to realize that, yeah, my thinking wasn't necessarily as clear as it might be otherwise. Um, another another thinking error that feeds guilt in those kind of situations is a failure to realize, you know, after the fact, a failure to, to remember or realize that um, when time is short, you don't have extended uh, ability to contemplate all right. the options. You just have to kind of act, and it might turn out to be something that maybe isn't the best choice, but at the time, it's just what you do because things are happening too fast. Right. And we talked a lot about that in mm-hmm. episode one. I highly mm-hmm. recommend listeners go back and listen to that. But you made that a really important point in episode mm-hmm. one where we were talking about that idea of like, you know, let's just say in the middle of combat, somebody's coming at you yeah. and you don't know what to do. And then you realize later I could have pu- picked up a gun yeah. from the dead soldier yeah. next to me and shot the person. But yeah. In the heat of the moment, you don't necessarily have the time or the mental yeah. bandwidth to be able to think of that. Yeah. And that's true in a lot of these situations. You have the rest yeah. of your life to go back and second guess what you could have done yeah. if you yep. know if you had the wherewithal at the time to yep. know that that was an option. There, there was actually a woman in the arena that day. That's right. That's right. There was a woman in the arena that day who gave permission for her story to be used. She was my colleague's client years ago. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of guilt. She witnessed Tyke Trample, Alan Campbell, and Dallas Beckwith, and killed Alan Campbell, uh, and almost killed Dallas Beckwith, the, the, the groom's person, the trainer. And she had a lot of guilt about not going down onto the floor to offer CPR and, you know, uh, emergency aid because she was involved in health promotion work. She was like a nurse or something and knew how to do a lot of that stuff. And when you think about that, right, there, you think, wait a second, you know, this is an 8,000 pound raging African elephant. That doesn't make sense for you to kind of, you know, hold up your hand in a timeout signal and go and kneel on the floor and do some CPR. Yeah. So, so already you can kind of hear, hear the unwarranted guilt in that. But if you f- later, she also, she also actually was at the circus with her elderly aunt who was hanging on her arm with her four-year-old kid and she was four months pregnant. <laughs> so she's going to leave her elderly aunt, her four-month-old kid, and her, and her, you know, she, and, and yet she was thinking, I should have gone down. That's, that's, that's not accurate. That's not accurate. And she actually said, an actual quote that she said later on, which signals that guilt-related hindsight bias, she said, I, sh- I shouldn't have gone, I, sh- I shouldn't have gone to the last 
performance when the animals and the trainers were bound to be tired. But that's what I did because it was just easiest to fit into my schedule, just irresponsible. Mm -hmm. As you know, end quote. As if any, have you ever heard, I've never heard anybody say, hey, you know what, if you're going to go to a circus, don't go to the last show no. because the animals and the trainers are bound to be tired. The only reason she's saying that is because she's being affected by guilt-related hindsight bias because she knows how it turned out. Right. So that's, yeah. that's why it's unwarranted because there's yeah. no way she would have thought she, I don't, she may not have right. even known it was the last performance right. to begin with. That's right. But even if she did, like, yeah. and you could even think about it in the opposite way. You could say, unless you're like an expert in animal and elephant health and well-being, right. you could say to yourself, the last performance is the perfect time to go because the right. animals will be more docile because right. they're tired. Like, right. how, how could you possibly you know until afterwards? And then you could say... Well, better not to go to a circus at all. But if you are going to go, don't yeah. go when they're the right. least stressed out. That's right. I, I mean, That's it's, right. you know, you, you could, you know, mind fuck yourself for right. Right, right. days and months and That's years right. about about the permutations of this. But the bottom line is you can't possibly know the outcome of something. Yeah until it actually happens. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And there, there was relationships, by the way, ruined o over the Tyke incident. I mean, there's families got divorced over it and everything. Wow. Fighting because of who took the kids and yeah. running that way and then running that way. And, and then the trauma, you know, gets in the way of relationships and the guilt. And it, I mean, it just really had a very far-reaching effect in our community. Very yeah. far. What about anger? You had mentioned that there were yeah. there was quite a lot of people who felt angry, including yourself. Yeah. How does that fit into this mix of uh, trauma response? Well, yeah, ang anger anger's um, you know sort of like the secondary emotion that usually under it is either anxiety slash fear or yeah. sadness, um, and it also acts as in some ways a way of sort of coping for people, uh, but not necessarily a healthy a healthy way. And it's coping because it helps to block those more painful emotions often. But a lot of the anger also came out of helplessness, like being put into a situation that one had to endure and not by one's own choice. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it was the police or the people on the street or like myself or the people that were in the arena, you know, I, I didn't have a choice in this. And yet this happened to me because of somebody else's choices to bring these kind of animals here and do this. Right. And, uh, yeah. So I know you would spend a lot of time focusing in on guilt because that is yeah. your specialty and expertise and probably some on, on anxiety as well and fear, I imagine, yeah. and the anger. So are there any yeah. other specific techniques? Let, let's put the guilt aside for a moment, the, the yeah. um, cognitive therapy yeah. work on the guilt, because yeah. Yeah. that's obviously an yeah. important part. Right. What would be other important components and how you would go about helping somebody like you? Yeah. Who experienced the tyke like well, one, of, one of the main things would be exposure work when we know that exposure work exposure and response prevention you know in various forms is is a key or core component to any good anxiety or trauma treatment yeah um it's really important to do good exposure work and there's various kinds but um so exposure work right would be like laying out a plan you know a psychologist with a client or with a patient uh, laying out a specific plan with the patient's consent to gradually re-experience either reminders of the trauma or, um, yeah, reminders, I mean, not the actual trauma, or, or re-experience the actual trauma, but in not actually going into a dangerous situation. So it'd be a, me yeah. a, a memory of the trauma. Thinking or, about or maybe watching videos or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so it could be prolonged exposure as a technique where the mm -hmm. person will basically close their eyes and talk in great detail in first person, present tense, 
you know, uh, about what's happening, thoughts, feelings, smells, sights, sounds, everything, and then repeating that and then going through it over and over and over and over and over mm-hmm. in the session, recording it, listening to it every single day. You know, there's certain ways to do this. It's not good to do it on one's own. Uh, but that would be one type of exposure. Other types of exposure would be exposure to reminders of the event, like uh, laying out a plan with the therapist to to go visit the arena or to go on the street or to watch videos like you were saying. In my case, when I was going to be interviewed for the documentary, I, uh, you know, it was many, many years later, but if I got into it enough, I'd still have, you know, some bother, uh, emotional distress come up about it. So in my case, what I decided to do was go on YouTube on my lunch breaks between in my office between clients you know I'd work with my morning clients and I'd have my lunch break and then I'd have afternoon clients and I, I would go to the worst scenes I could find on YouTube of Tyke being shot and of Tyke running in the streets and all this and I would just watch those over and over and over mm-hmm. and I'd done a lot of this work before just sort of on my own by all the all, you know all the work I was doing to you know talking about this remembering it you know being interviewed in the newspaper and stuff for it but with YouTube, we have the luxury of doing a lot of exposure. Um, and so that would be a good thing to do with clients or patients. And, and really keeping in mind that the, the point is not necessarily to have the emotional distress come down, but the gauge of success is the, is the client, or in this case, it was me, my own, I was my own client to yeah. myself, learning, the gauge of success is learning that one can tolerate being around, whether it's the thoughts, the feelings, the reminders, whatever. And the more that one can t- learn to tolerate that, that these are not harmless, it's not happening again, you know, then then eventually the emotion becomes more manageable and there's not a strong emotional connection. But we never want to be too hinged on, hey, is your emotion coming down? Because mm-hmm. it, it gets into sort of that escaping kind of thing. We want to teach people that they can tolerate the discomfort that yeah. comes up with these memories and with these thoughts. So in your particular case, just so, yeah. I'm, cl- so I'm clear about it, you were you knew you were going to be interviewed for this documentary yeah. film about Tyke, yeah. And you decided at that point this yeah. might be kind of tough for me because that was a traumatic experience and I'm still struggling a little bit with yeah. it. And so you started doing some of your own exposure yes. work. Yes. And just tell me real briefly about this yeah. documentary. Yeah, it's called Tyke Elephant Outlaw, and it was some documentarians, BBC award-winning documentarians that go between New York and Australia. Really, there are a couple. Um, uh, Stephen Moore and uh, Susan Lambert, they're really cool. They called me up and they said, hey, we're going to make a documentary on um, humans' relation uh, to non-human animal species, and we want to tell it through the story of Tyke, and we know that you were very involved, so they ended up coming to Hawaii, got to know them a bit, drove them around, showed them places that things happened, had some dinners with them. I had boxes and boxes, you know, banker's boxes full of files and information, you know, six feet high um, over the years. And so I shared a lot of that with them. And they ended up making a a really cool documentary. Uh, It was on Netflix for a while. I don't know if it is there anymore, but it's gone to a lot of film festivals uh, in the nation, even around the world, I think. Um, And uh, yeah, it, it told the story of humans' relationship, you know, to other, other animals, to species and other species uh, through, through Tyke. And at the time, um, you know, having dinners with them and stuff, I, I learned that from them that one of the things that makes a good documentary is good emotion being yeah. shown. You know, they zoom in and this sort of thing. And at the time, we didn't have a law passed or bill passed, and I wanted to help them with their documentary to bring more awareness to this. But also, I wanted this to be a component in us getting 
you know, we could have legislators and city council and board of agriculture members right. seeing this documentary. So I wanted to be able to convey the message well of what I wanted to get across without being, you know, really distressed. So that's mm-hmm. when I decided to do my own exposure exposure work. And, and to be clear, I would not recommend that people do their own exposure work. As maybe a psychologist who does a lot of that kind of work and knows what they're doing, but many people will buy a book that says, oh, go, you got to face your fear. And what they do is they end up going to the dentist and clenching the seat the right. whole time or whatever. And it's just going to make it worse for them. It's not going to be true and quality uh, exposure work in the way that we know fits with psychological principles. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Tyler. Like, I know when I do exposure work with patients, sometimes they do have that fist clenching, teeth clenching type of thing. Let me bear my way through it and then escape as quickly as I can. And then they feel like they've done the exercise and they don't understand why they're not getting better. And of course, it's because they haven't actually accomplished anything other than tell themselves, if I'll just sit here as long as I can and then escape. And then you're reinforcing the feeling of relief when you escape from the situation. You're not actually becoming desensitized to it right. and habituated to it or whatnot. So, That's right. so you're right. I think it's important to seek out professional help for something like this. That's right, right, right. And, 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 and a key component, right, of the exposure is to have the experience teach learning, inhibitory learning that, that you know, maximally violates... And I know it's a funny word, but that's the word that's often used in this kind of talk amongst psychologists, as you may know, right? Mm-hmm. Maximally violates the current belief that the patient is holding. Yeah. If the patient is holding a belief that I can, you know, that they might not even be aware of, but a lot of times they gradually become aware of it. If they hold a belief that I cannot tolerate the thoughts and feelings that come up when I'm around this trigger, we want to engineer an exposure exercise that maximally violates that belief mm-hmm. such that they ultimately learn something that replaces that belief that then is more manageable for them to go through life with. So real practically with Tyke, what would be an example of that? Watching YouTube videos like I did until I get to the point that I've got a belief that, yeah, that was a disturbing thing that happened in 1994. This is on YouTube video. I'm in my office and I can be around these thoughts and feelings that come up. Got it. You know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the present day here in my office or in my car, wherever I am in the moment when these thoughts and feelings come up. This isn't then, and when they when these thoughts and feelings come up, I, I can do that. I can manage that. Doesn't mean that this event's happening all over again. You know, when the emotion comes up, we don't want to have that emotional reasoning kick in, right? Where the brain will use the emotion to somehow conclude that I'm back in that situation because I'm not. I'm not. You know. Yeah. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for sharing your experience, personal and professional, with this hike the elephant episode uh super interesting and tragic and bizarre do you have any final words you want to leave us with today about Uh, the subject matter always a pleasure to meet with you thank you so much i enjoy your podcast just awesome likewise okay great to see you again thanks take care Thank you for listening to Mind Tricks Radio. I hope you have enjoyed the program. For more information about Mind Tricks, please go to my website, www.waikikihealth.com. Please be sure to subscribe to Mind Tricks Podcast and accompanying blog to be notified of new episodes of Mind Tricks. Please be sure to follow Mind Tricks on Facebook by following and liking posts by myself, your host, Dr.